It is truly another glorious occasion that God has blessed us with to be able to come together again to worship in spirit and in truth tonight. We have visitors and we want you to know that we're thankful that you've come our way and invite you back any and uh, to any and all of our services. Tragedy in the Church of Christ. It's going to be our topic of our lesson tonight. We're going to look at several issues, problems that the Church of Christ has chosen to go down a path, this path that is not good. With that, we'll look at our slide of introduction. It is important for us, to, as the church, to be aware of these changes, to know what they are in every way, and if they arise, even here at our congregation, to know what to do about them, how to handle them. It can truly be said that individuals like new things. New and improved sometimes is a slogan that's often popular. New food, new car, really anything that's new and improved, for the most part we enjoy it. But should we as Christians strive to change, bring something new into the church in our aspect of worship? Some changes that are not in accordance to God's will have split congregations over the recent years. These worship style changes that include the, with aspects of singing, the Lord's Supper, and his preaching for the most part. And at, at the end of our lesson tonight, we're also going to look at elderships that do not lead according to the Bible with some situations that have tragically taken place. But these new things, when they make their way into worship, we can ask ourselves, are they approved by God? These changes are not just the number of songs that we sang before the lesson or the number of prayers that's led, but are what you and I would may call and appreciate additions that are not highlighted anywhere in the New Testament as we're going to see tonight. These troubling matters are an eternal thing for us if they're not dealt with properly. And to add to that, it doesn't matter what I think standing up here delivering these things to you tonight. It's not my opinion, and it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what this book says. The New Testament is our guide for Christ's church and how it should be organized. And to appreciate that church, there is one body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. If you would, let's turn there and read that together, please. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Verses 4 through 6 we'll look at. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There is no more comforting scriptures to a Christian than those right there to appreciate the oneness of those things. There is one body that is the church. 
It is the church that our Savior established with his pristine establishment of it, and he intends for us to keep it that way. He also shed, the, shed his blood for the church. We're told that in Acts 20, 28. He purchased it with his blood. Colossians 1, 18 reads, the, reads like this. And he is head of, of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verse, verse 14, that once this kingdom, the church, would be established, that it will never be destroyed. Though men have tried to destroy the word of God with, in its entirety, it will never be so. The church will always stand until the end of time. We're told in Ephesians 5.23 that he is the savior of the body and he will save the church on that grand and glorious day of judgment. And we can also appreciate in Galatians 3.27 as well as Acts 2.47 at that moment of baptism, our sins are remitted, we are buried in his death and added to that wonderful body. As the church, we are also commanded to worship in spirit and in truth. First John, or I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verse 24. And in that truth, we have to appreciate that is the truth that's entire, in, in the entirety of the New Testament, in every aspect of worship, those five acts that we offer unto God. As we come to the next slide, we can appreciate this. This list I have chosen to do with the research that I did, you may notice these congregations, some of which are not too far from here, have made these changes in their worship very tragically. And I have them listed up here without apology. The Providence Road Church of Christ in North Carolina the Whites Ferry Road Church of Christ in Louisiana, the Madison Church of Christ here in Tennessee, the Woodmont Hills Church of Christ in Tennessee, and the College Side Church of Christ right here in Cookville, Tennessee. Some of these things that we are going to look at tonight are all taken from examples from these congregations. If one visits the website, you may be surprised at some of the things that goes on with the aspects of singing, with the preaching, with the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to look at those things. But our, as we launch into this, as, as true faithful Christians, we always need to keep in mind Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Let's look at number one. Singing innovations. Now by the word innovations, that term means the introduction of something new. So we all know very well that singing is commanded in our worship to God. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 12 tells us. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. That is pretty straightforward, my friend, isn't it? 
But these changes that have taken place in some of these congregations that were on that previous slide are instrumental music, inappropriate shouting, humming, and praise teams, and hand clapping. Are these allowed in our singing and worship to God? Does God approve them? With the praise teams, for example, a lot of times those are a designated group of people that either stand on the stage or close by to the front, and they, most of the time, they will sing to the congregation while everybody else is silent. Or what about inappropriate shouting or humming as an expression of emotion? And what about instrumental music? And some have said over the time that hand clapping helps us in our worship to God. It, it, help, it helps keep the rhythm of the song, but is it an addition or is it an aid to our singing? Let's turn to Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. And also to an Old Testament passage, passage, we'll draw from this and apply a principle to these two passages and come to a conclusion on this point. And ask ourselves, are these things authorized? Again, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5.19. Mark the wrong scripture. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we're commanded to sing. We're commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You and I have done that tonight. Those songs that are, for the most part, based upon scripture and those that presents the message from Scripture. Let's turn over to a Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here we're commanded again to sing. We're commanded to teach one another and to uh, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now let's, uh, let's go back and turn to the very uh, first book in all the Bible, Genesis chapter 6. Visit that a moment. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. There's a principle here that we can apply to these verses. Now, in, its, in this context, we are told that sin had entered the human family and evil was on the heart of, of men continuously. We're told that in verse 5. Coming to chapter or verse 14, God gives his pronouncement. He's going to destroy the earth with a flood. And, he, and of course, Noah found grace in the, sight of the, in the eyes of the Lord. And he tells him in verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. 
rooms shall thou make in the ark, and shall pitch in with pitch it within and without with pitch. God was specific in the type of wood he told Noah to use. It was of gopher wood. So would Noah have been authorized to use any other type of wood? Could he have used oak or maple or pine or anything he wished? Well, the answer is no. Even though God didn't spe specifically say not to use those things, that didn't give him the right to use any other thing, any other type of wood but gopher wood. And th that same principle applies here to these verses on singing. God has commanded what, he, what kind of singing he wants. He wants a cappella singing without instruments, without hand clapping, without praise teams. And if we add one of them, my friend, to our worship, we are in error. We are to admonish one another with our singing. Changes to preaching and sermon innovations. It is commanded for preaching as an act, as act of worship. We're told that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 20, verse 7, we're given that occasion of Paul preaching till midnight when the disciples, of course, gathered there for worship. And we should always look forward to hearing a lesson from God's holy word. And in Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. But these changes that, again, are from these congregations that was listed earlier can appear in forms of this in dramas, plays, skits, puppet shows, things on, of that nature. And in these worship services, most of the time there is a traditional service, and there's a contemporary service that occurs later up in, up in the morning of that Sunday morning. But for the most part, this has been began creeping into the main traditional service of just one service. And the attitude and the atmosphere that uh, these services have are always a positive, relaxed environment is their motto for these services. And also informative. One shouldn't be dressing up. You should be come as you are, relaxed. And also is the idea of these care groups that forms that meets out of under the eldership in people's homes and they call that worship. Friend, is there any New Testament authorization for these things? And the answer is no. Again, Acts 2.42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't try to add anything to it or create some kind of biblical narrative to perform for the congregation. And a lot of times, seasonal things come into these worship services, such as Christmas. It's been known to, at a congregation of that list that was shown a minute ago that the birth of Jesus was portrayed in a, a play 
around the one Sunday morning around uh, Chris, Christmas Day. It's obvious that in tragic that they don't have an understanding of first how preaching is supposed to be done in regards to the New Testament and two about the time of Jesus' birth. And that's just to name one example. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, we're given a very strong warning to Timothy. If you would be turning to there. First, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they will turn and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Timothy on this occasion was urged to preach the word. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it, but to continue in the doctrine. And friend, that's, friend, that's just as needful as you, for you and I today as it was then. Lord's Supper innovations. You and I all know that precious memorial as the Lord's, known as the Lord's Supper. We partake of it as every first day of the week as, com, as given the example of Acts 20, verse 7. Jesus give us his stamp of approval, if you will, for taking the Lord's Supper. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, he broke the bread He prayed over it. He prayed for the cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, Paul to that congregation said, we, they are, we are to discern the Lord's body. So these changes that have made themselves known in some of these congregations with the Lord's Supper are really likened to a you, something you would see at a movie theater. The lighting is dimmed, and in some instances, instances, singing is played on speakers to the audience while the trays are being passed. And friend, that has to be distracting. Our minds are supposed to be going back to the scene of the cross, remembering the crucifixion, and remembering that wonderful promise that one day will be ours. And 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, we are also told that we should, our minds should be directed properly. Now, these things that Paul, that Paul was addressing, they were, of course, they had brought things in to the Lord's Supper. They were using the other, other things besides those two emblems that the Lord had, had, had declared to use. And for the most part, that's not an issue with these congregations. It's just these other things that's being added to it. They're keeping the emblems, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, but it's these other things that are troubling that adds to this. And one can ask, were any of these issues known in, in New Testament times? And the answer is yes. If you would, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse eight, starting in verse 18. Again, Colossians chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 18. I'll, I'll read 18 through 23. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary hum humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into, into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all body from from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and it together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead from, with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject, subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And that first phrase in this scripture, let no man beguile you. So here were a group of individuals. They were, had made themselves known to introducing new things with talents that they had and that led up to even the worshiping of angels here in verse 18 those things they had not seen they claimed they knew a sense of godliness and rightful way of living but they didn't this all sounds familiar doesn't it even for us today and in verse 19 they neglected the most one of the most important things of all, they were not holding the head. And we're, we're again, we're told in Colossians 1.18 that Christ is head of the church. And in verse 23, or I'm sorry, before there, those things, why are you, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, ye are subject to ordinances? So again, these worldly things that were brought in, they were not to give in to them. They were supposed to be dead to them because they are now in Christ. They are now a member of the church. And in verse 23, 
which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. This will worship is also described in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, where Jesus says, This people honoreth me with their mouth, and draweth nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. It's their commandments. It's, it's not what God wanted. It's what they wanted. But holding the head at a congregation is one of the most important and vital things that we have to do if we expect to be pleasing in God's sight. Because if we hold the head, we'll respect what the head has given us to do throughout the New Testament. We won't try to change it. We will just be happy to come to the terms and fulfill those commandments as he has set forth. Christ is our authority, of course, through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 and Hebrews 11.6, I'll explain that. And our, and our faith should always seek to simply do what God has given us to do through his word and not go beyond that which is written. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 was our lesson text tonight. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So here's individuals. They're abiding. They're not abiding in the doctrine. They think they have Christ. They think they have God. But tragically and sadly, they don't. But the other side of that verse, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Friends, may we always try to abide in the doctrine in every way of our life and every act of worship that we do. To add to that, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, that worship must be orderly. Let all things be done decently and in order. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, We are to hold to the traditions that we have been given by either of word or epistle. That's very plain. That was plain for that congregation then, and that's as plain as it is for us today. And the traditions that we have here at Pippin, here at any other congregation, as long as we fulfill the commandment, that's a good tradition. That's what Paul says here to hold on to. And in Luke chapter 19, at the end of chapter 19, going into verse 20, we're given a very strong appreciation here. If you would be turning there. Luke chapter 19, verse 20. Or I'm sorry, chapter 19 and 20. Now, Jesus went in, we know, to the temple and drove out everything. 
and starting in verse 2 of chapter 20. And spake unto him, saying, Tell us by what authority dost thou, thou, thou these things, or whom he, has, he that give thee these in authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And of course that goes on, and again they couldn't come to a, an answer, and they said, we cannot tell. And of course this was the scribes and the priests that came and asking him this question in verse 1. But what we are to take up from verse, verse 4, was it from heaven or from men? Friend, everything we do in religion, whether it be worship, whether it be the aspects of our lives every day, it comes from two one, or, one of two places. Either it's from heaven or it's of men. If it's from heaven, it's in context in every way with the teaching of the Bible in its entirety. If it's of men, then it's an addition. And we are told in Revelation 22:19 that we are not to add or take away from the word. And these individuals that practice these things, oh, they're not physically writing in the word anywhere, but aren't they in the act of worship doing just that? They're adding to, going beyond that is what is written. And that strong warning to close that verse, their name will be taken out of the book of life that anyone who adds or takes away. Friend, that should strike us to the very core of our being to always be motivated to stay in the doctrine of Christ and to fulfill his commandments in the way that he has seen fit. Let's look at another tragedy. Tragedy in elderships. It is always a wonderful blessing to appreciate the need for elders in a congregation. And we can truly be thankful here at Pippin for our three men that lead us here in a way that's pleasing. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, as well as Titus, Titus 1, Chapter 1, verse 5, those qualifications are given and told that that is a good work if a man desireth that work. In Hebrews 13, 17, they have the watch over us. We are told that, for they watch for our souls. But in some instances, elders, even in the church of Christ, again, from these examples listed earlier, go beyond the Scripture. By allowing these worship changes to take place and by allowing openly sin to remain in a congregation. Let's consider this example. Here's a couple. They come to a congregation and they want to place membership but it's soon found out that they're living in adultery. And the eldership meets, and tragically, instead of talking to them, they allow them to place membership. That gentleman gets up, 
lead singing, waits on the table. All the while, my friend, while he's living in sin. But the bottom line of either of these examples, either if they allow these worship changes to be made or they allow sin to remain in a congregation, for the most part comes because of money, of money affairs. They put the idea of money over the scriptures. Because if they tell someone to leave or if they disfellowship somebody, then they're losing that contribution from that person or that family. It, it can truly be said in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is truly the root of all evil and that's even true, can be true in the church itself. Going back to that example with sin in a congregation, did Paul excuse that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Of course not. He addressed it. He told them to deliver them such and one to Satan that the soul might be saved. And shame should be pitied on any elder that ever does this, friend, they're going to have to give an answer for that. And that brings us to this slide, remaining faithful. May we always keep the pure meaning for what the church stands for, whether that's listed on any page in of regards to worship or living everyday life. Jesus said to be thou faithful until death and I'll give thee a crown of life. Friend, are you a member of his body tonight? If you're not, why not? He sent his son to die for you. He put in place that plan of salvation. But maybe you've become you've been baptized and you've went through the years in your life, and maybe worship may be done in accordance to the Scripture, but you've allowed it to become just a meaningless habit in your life. Friend, if, if, that's the, if that's the way of your heart, you need to repent. You have a heart problem. You need to confess those things, come back to his side at once and strive to walk in the light again as we all strive to do and we're told in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 in John chapter 4:23 only the true worshipers will worship the God will worship God in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him to anyone that's never become a christian the plan of salvation is this you have to hear the word Romans 10:17 you have to believe, Mark 16, 15. You have to repent, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name, Romans 10, 9. And to be scripturally baptized for the remission of your sins. He'll then add you to that wonderful body and you will continue to the rest of your life serving him faithfully in every way. And if you remain faithful until death, heaven will be yours, Revelation 2, verse 10. If we can help anyone in those two regards tonight... Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?